Welcome to Giant Sized Violence, an ultra mega podcast. I'm your host, Grant, and joining me once again is my good friend and fellow lover of the genre, Nate. Welcome back to the show, man. I'm happy to be back. Now, today we're looking at Ultra Mega Issue 3 by James Harden and Dave Stewart. But before we do that, I wanted to give our listeners a heads up that Volume 1 of Ultra Mega was just released this month, collecting all four issues of the series so far. So if you missed out on the initial release, now's the perfect time to catch up. Now, as far as the issue at hand goes, I have to say, I think this is my favorite issue of the book so far. I've read it several times now in preparation for this episode, and every time I do, I find something new that I really appreciate about this book. So, while I've obviously got plenty to say about this that I'm going to be speaking at length on in a few minutes, uh, what were your initial thoughts on this, Nate? Man, this is really my type of comics that I really like. It has such a out there and wacky type of premise but it's really played straight but it still has a sense of humor to it which is like if you listen to like me and grand other podcasts this is the type of comics that i love to read like one of my favorite comics is chainsaw man for christ's sake so i really like stuff that's like really out there but played super straight yeah that's a really good comparison i mean this definitely is like one of the most gritty takes on the genre i've ever seen and yet it's also hilarious like i really do love the humor of this book and there's definitely a few moments of this issue in particular I'm really looking forward to highlighting. Yeah, same. Like, it's really fun. Like, this book is fun. Even though it's super dark, it still has that really fun sense of tone, and I'm really on the ride for this book. Well, in that case, let's dive right into it. Issue 3 gives the reader an inside look into the society the human-sized kaiju have built for themselves. Noah's friend and caretaker Beth has been taken into custody by a group of kaiju that need her help building giant robots to pilot in order to make up for their small size, an issue the kaiju seem to be very self-conscious about. Meanwhile, Noah wakes up surrounded by the other gladiators of the kaiju Colosseum. We find out that the monsters have a complicated relationship with the humans, as they're a necessary part of the kaiju life cycle, but also the hosts of their greatest enemy, the Ultra Mega. Noah and the other gladiators are dressed up as mascot imitations of the Ultra Mega and forced to fight three powerful kaiju in a miniature city as something of a reenactment of the giant battles of the past. The fight does not go well for the other gladiators, but Noah manages to kill two of his opponents and escape with the help of the Eye of Adam, a walking, talking eye looking for the next champion to become an Ultra Mega. Noah also helps Gara, the human kaiju follower responsible for his capture, escape the Colosseum. Our issue ends with Noah having barely escaped his captors, lying on the ground mortally wounded, when the Eye of Adam informs Noah that he's going to die, but he has a proposal. Ah, great summary. I spoke at length about how much the first issue of the series really gave us a full adventure, and, I mean, while that was kind of a self-contained story as a prologue, this, I felt like, is just the perfect chapter of a story, uh, whether it be a book, a comic, etc. This, I just felt like, gave us a really big, fun adventure that told us a lot about the world this story is taking place in, and yet still very much leads into what's to come while building off what the previous issue gave us. So, yeah, while issue one is like a perfect self-contained story, I think this is this is the perfect issue dedicated to Noah's story, or the perfect issue of an ongoing story. Yeah, perfect continuation of uh, stories that are going on. And I'm really happy that whoever's in charge of the image, whoever gets to charge of this type of mandate, allow him to have like 
basically a double link if- issue for each comic. Like that's an amazing touch, which I wish more comics do. Yeah, uh, well, issue one was like a full 60 pages to kick off the series. All of these follow-up issues are about 45 pages long, which is still, yeah, about twice the size of a normal comic. So, like, I am happy to pay twice as much for a book that gives me three times the experience. So, yeah, really happy as well that they're letting these be as big as they are. (laughs) Yeah, but... This issue's main focus, at least to me, seemed like, uh, its main focus seemed to be fleshing out the world of the kaiju and showing us that they have kind of a society of their own. We really get a feeling for how the kaiju see the humans and what they're dealing with as monsters. Like, you can, you kind of pick up on the fact that all of the kaiju are small and human-sized and that they don't like that at all like there's a ton of references to being immense being enormous whereas they're all small and like really uh self-conscious about that fact through the book and that's what i really love about this book as a whole that it's really playing with uh ideas of tokusatsu but it doesn't just feel like tokusatsu like i can get from like a normal tv show or like common rider super sentai or power rangers you know like you don't really get to see this much side of how the monsters feel about just life as a whole. Like I have never seen a Tokusatsu show, even though I, I watched almost every season of Power Rangers and like seeing a couple episodes of Super Sentai Con Rider, like just this mindset of like, it's actually kaijus that's big, but I'm small. Like that whole idea is I have never seen before. Yeah, and I'll get into it later when we're discussing the Kaiju Coliseum and that entire sequence of the book. But yeah, there's so many moments that with just a single page or just a single interaction between a character, we get a way better understanding of how this society works. And one of the ongoing interactions between characters that um, gave me something I didn't pick up on until like my third or fourth time reading this issue was the fact that I'm pretty sure the Kaiju society is like a secret to the humans. Like Noah wakes up in the Coliseum and is like, Whoa, 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 you guys are real. And there's a couple other moments like that between human characters, like not believing what they're seeing or being surprised that the monsters they're talking to are real, which kind of works as like background world building just to slowly or to hint to the reader that like the rest of the world doesn't know that the kaiju have a society of their own. Yeah, and I, I really like that angle because I, I, you know, I just assumed that the kaiju was like well known, but I guess it's been so many years and. Like, they just don't know about the society, which is pretty cool, because I really like that underground society underneath our nose concept in the media. Now, I'd like to start with our first introduction showing us that the monsters are more than we realized previously, and it's probably in my favorite moment of the book so far, at least when it comes to its humor. We see Beth kind of waking up, surrounded by some of these more creative-looking monsters in the back of a truck, driving by these giant robots, and she's like, oh, you guys can build things. You're building robots because you're so small. And we totally get, like, that Futurama, the clamps scene, just like this crab monster, like, I'll fucking kill you! Like, so (laughs) pissed about, like... Yeah, they're overcompensating, or it's like an impotent rage moment, just so mad at being called out for their size. Yeah, it's it's a funny moment, and um, I really love the page where it's just the bamboo kaiju just with some revolver in his hand. Like, they're not, like, when we see, like, kaiju in most media, we're seeing, like, monsters in general, like, we think of these, like, high, powerful beings that it take a whole team of superheroes, like, one super powerful superhero to take down, but, like, these are just... These are not, like, the the star athletes of, like, kaiju society. (laughs) 
They're like us, not LeBron yeah. James. Yeah, these are the nerds that are on robot building duty. I mean, like one of them's even just kind of chubby, like chilling in the back, got his arm pressed up against the truck, just like hanging out. <laughs> yeah, he's just long for the ride. Now, when I first saw this scene, I remember being pretty excited about the idea that robots were being introduced to this book and that we were going to see these in action sometime soon. And, and I really want to call it the design because maybe this is just me projecting two of the main mecha anime I've seen, but I feel like the major mech they allude to in the background really draws a lot of elements from both Gurren Lagann and Evangelion in its design and color scheme. Like, it's got that Ava 1 sort of purple and green highlight in the shadows style uh, with its color, and then it also kind of looks like a face with its chest. Like, yeah, hearkening back to Gurren Lagann. And I'm wondering how much of that is intentional, or if this is just a really awesome design that I'm attributing to two of the best mecha anime there have ever been. Yeah, I, I kind of see. Yeah. I see the Gary Logan influences a lot with like the like the face on the chest. And, and like one thing I, I really like to note is like it, I like the the whole concept of like kaiju's have to get the robots to fight like the humans or like a to fight like a giant person. It's like so funny as someone who likes Tokusatsu. <laughs> I'm not aware of any other media in the genre doing that, like having the monsters be the ones in the robots. Like, Power Rangers will occasionally do that for, like, a fun episode, but we've never seen that as, like, the main theme of a book. <laughs> That's, like, I can't, like, that'd be kind of cool, like, like, it was just, like, an Ultraman series where it's, like, we can't turn big and, like, but we can just pilot some mechs. <laughs> we learned from the humans how to overcome this problem. Yes, that's so funny. Like, it's a lot of, like, fun humor if it's like underneath humor, um, something like something like Invincible has, if you read that comics where it's like, it's, it's humorous overall, but it's like another layer of humor. If you're really into like that medium, like Invincible is the superhero comics and like this comic is to uh Toka media. Like that's something I really hope to see. Like it's part of the reason I hope this series lasts a really long time because the more I've discovered about the genre, the more tropes I've seen that carry through most of the series and have even been brought into other media. And yeah, I want to keep seeing jokes like this. I want to keep seeing them playing with these tropes in ways I've not seen anyone else do. So yeah, I think this series has a long, bright future ahead of it if it can keep up its sales. Yeah, I mean, everyone, please buy the trade that's coming out because this is an image book. It isn't like a Marvel DC book. So most of this money is going to like the creative team, not some corporation. Now, one last thing I wanted to point out in this scene that we see reflected elsewhere in the book. Uh, the first page, we see... Beth waking up from a dream and it kind of leads you into a bit of what's going on in her head, how useless she thinks Noah is and how like she wants to go to like a flying robot academy or work on sci-fi stuff. And this is kind of a recurring theme with each of the main characters in the book. Like our introduction to Noah, Gara, and Beth in this all finds them waking up from a dream. And this is, again, something I didn't notice until several reads in, but, like, that's a really great way to help the author get into the head of whatever character they're introducing in this scene, just with a single panel or a single page. She's letting us know how this character is feeling, letting us in on their hopes or fears, and each dream sequence tells us something very different about the character in that scene. Yeah, and that's, like, one thing I really like about this book, because nothing in this book feels forced. Like, everything feels natural, and it's really a good showing of how to tell a really good story because you have to check off boxes when you're like writing a story but like to this like everything just flows naturally like okay like you're writing a story like you have to get in the character's head so 
most authors would just like have the characters just like exercise or like have like a caption box, but going to character dream is like pretty genius and it just feels so natural here. Yeah, it didn't require any exposition or other kind of forced methods to explain that this character feels this way about this part of their life. Like, no, oh, yeah, show a dream and you get all of that in a natural introduction. Yeah, and like showing a dream also, as a reader, feels more accomplished when you actually figure out what the dream actually means. I did want to hop back to the actual opening of this book where we see the Kaiju King and his mom right after the battle in issue one. Uh, with the Kaiju King shrunk down to small size, uh, wading his way through this sea of blood he's caused. I-, I really like what this issue does showing us what these two looked like years ago comparing to what they look like now. And also how much of the dynamic you get between these two. How like this king goes from being the greatest weapon that can take out an Ultra Mega to being just kind of this lowly just being this lowly creature that the mom no longer has any time for. Yeah, like the creature has use all ran out and now it's just a, a sack of his former self is trying to figure out identity. And like this whole page and opening is so cool because I I mean again, I mean I'm gonna keep saying this, but like I just don't see this in Toka Media. Uh, especially because like a lot of like the major Toku properties like Ultraman, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai have to try to be for all ages. So like having this like pool of blood which one of these people would like generate like it's so cool to see i never seen it before and i mean the monster designs too like now that this thing's small the book really leans into the fact that the kaiju king looks like an anus uh, they have a lot of references to that in the text like ah my cloaca shudders i i did have to look up what a cloaca <laughs> is because i failed anatomy but uh yeah it, it's part of the anus so there you go guys <laughs> i didn't even pick that up and that would have and on that note a little bit, something I didn't notice till right before this episode, rereading it again, um, whereas the Kaiju King looks kind of like an anus, our first time seeing Lilith, this issue, I really picked up on the fact that most of her body looks like intestines, like her feet and her hair all kind of have that lumpy, tubey design you would see of human intestines. And I think that's a really fun play on the fact like, okay, one of these looks like the butt, the other looks like the guts. Hold on, I didn't notice that. That's pretty cool. Took a good, like, six or seven readings to notice that, so won't say I had the sharpest eyes here either. But uh, one thing I did pick up on here, and I really hope I'm not spoiling a major reveal in the book, but uh, the Queen mentions that uh, she mentions something about the Prince's new father making arrangements for us as she's looking at a helicopter with the word Meyer on it. And this is making me think, and so sorry to the creative team if I'm ruining something here, uh, I think Stefan from the first book might come back as a villain later on just because like his death might be a little ambiguous i think we just see him impaled through the chest uh stefan meyer like meyer was his company and just some of the weird illuminati looking things we saw of him in the first issue i I could very much see them having him come back in more of an ominous villain role or maybe some kind of man behind the scenes yeah you know what they say you don't see like the body dead and confirmed so is a possibility now last moments on this uh that i wanted to get thoughts on we we see later in the issue lilith arrives in the present and her design oh my god i i love what they're doing here like it's like mothra meets some kind of lovecraftian eldritch terror and it really imposes fear the first time it shows up and like i think it's the one closest thing to a kaiju we see in the book post prologue I really love the Mafra iteration because she's the mother and the Mafra is like the mother of the kaijus. So it's it's so good. Like he's really a fan of this media. 
I will say what kind of threw me off seeing Lilith arrive like this is like, has no one noticed this giant flying kaiju going around? Like, what's stopping her in this form from just taking out the rest of humanity? Like, really hope that gets expanded on in the next volume or two. Good point, good point. Uh, maybe some type of restriction or something. And, uh, like, looking at the pages right now, I might be overestimating her size. Like, I don't know, it could just be a perspective thing, but as I'm looking closer, like, she might not be fully kaiju-sized, just, like, pretty immense compared to all the human-sized kaiju. Yeah, I don't think she's, like... I think she's just big, but not, like... Because I'm looking at the panels right now, and she's not, like, really towering over, like, the human-sized kaiju. She might be as big as, like, an elephant or something. Seeing her really kind of brings home this recurring theme of the book, just showing that the king is this pathetic figure. Like, we start out seeing him kind of defenseless and small, wishing to be big again... And then throughout this, even now that he's like the king of the remaining kaiju and everyone speaks up, like everyone speaks highly of him and is looking for his approval. Like he has to tell people he's immense, he's huge and that they're small. And just seeing like how belittled he is when his mom arrives just is hilarious to me. Yeah, it's the kaiju story of the Napoleon complex. Yeah, and one of my friends even pointed out how, like, this feels very much like there's a, th a running theme of impotence through the monsters, and, uh, like, I absolutely see that. Like, I wouldn't say their designs have been that phallic, but just, yeah, the sure rage of not being big enough, not being masculine enough, like, that, that's absolutely there among monster society. Yeah, and it's a really creative way to tackle this concept because we're so used to seeing these monsters big. Like, Tokusatsu started with a giant monster, and a lot of media, Tokusatsu media, has giant monsters. So, this is really a cool way to play with that. Speaking of playing with the monsters, I wanted to lead into what I think is maybe the best page of this issue, or at least some of the best condensed world building I've ever seen. Uh, the Coliseum scene starts with this page that's basically the kaijus recounting their relationship with the humans. It starts with this, uh, Behold, the human, a hairy gateway. A sweaty chrysalis birthing our pure spirits into this filthy human world. And it just kind of shows us this life cycle of the humans turning into kaiju and then facing off against the Ultra Mega. And in a single page, we get the full idea of like how these kaijus see humans both as like what's needed for them to be born, but also the host bodies of their biggest enemy and how the Ultra Mega, like they were killing monsters right as the humans turned and like changed into kaiju from the kaiju virus. And in their eyes, the Ultra Mega were just killing newborns, basically. Like, these were infants that were getting attacked by these giant superheroes. And uh, maybe part of the reason that all these kaiju can talk in this book is because they've matured a ways. They've grown intelligence. So just seeing that from the monster's point of view, the Ultra Mega are actually kind of the bad guys. Like, right? this ethical dilemma here is kind of messed up if the monsters are sentient and if what we are killing are basically giant monster babies. Yeah, and it really plays with what was set up last issue. It really shows duality of... Because it sets it up like it's like good and evil, but we're really seeing a gray here. Like, yeah, it's not really as black and white as we will seem with like if we compare it to like other analogs like of good and evil, like uh, Autobots and Decepticon. And I mean, the monsters even talk themselves up like, hey, we're giving these humans that pledged themselves to the Ultra Mega more of a chance than they ever gave us by letting them fight in this Coliseum and choose their opponent. Uh, again, pretty interesting. Like, even if these are the bad guys... Yeah, they got a point. They are technically giving the humans more of a doubt, or they're giving them more of a chance than they ever had. Yeah. But, I mean, the key thing I do want to point out, though, is just that this one page is a masterclass in 
efficient world building. Like, just in a single page, we do now have the full monster perspective, whereas other books probably would have needed some kind of back and forth between a monster and human character, or maybe even a whole issue dedicated to a dialogue between two characters for them to explore what this means or how they view humans. Yep, super efficient. Now, as far as the Colosseum fight goes, there's really only this one action scene this book, and it's really our first action scene with Noah outside the few little small-time skirmishes last issue, and I, I gotta say, this is one of the most interesting fight scenes I've ever seen, and they did such a good job planting what these monsters do and then finding a fun way to play on that with the following pages and it's kind of perfect coliseum or perfect gladiator media in my opinion it's like so funny because it's a coliseum with like miniatures buildings and stuff like a miniature sets just how like they actually film tokusatsu media with giant fights and making miniatures so it's so funny this these monsters to feel big do what like we make these monsters feel big on like television it's like the civil war reenactment equivalent of a godzilla movie like these monsters are basically cosplaying old monster battles and (laughs) (laughs) such a hilarious dynamic but yeah the monster designs here especially i love like i I think maybe the best character in this issue in particular might be boosh the little stress relief and acid monster that is the first one that gets challenged to a fight (laughs) yeah all these monsters look super cool man like i like how you can play with monster designs which that you cannot play with in like actual tokusatsu because i keep bringing up like tokusatsu media and like how it's different but like not being restricted to having people in a physical suit and have to do all these stunts really leads to having like creative monster designs in the series yeah there's way fewer limitations here in the book and i've seen other toku media lean into that more like uh sss Gridman, the recent anime like that's also kind of a love letter to toku but they design all their monsters around the idea that people would be in this giant rubber costume whereas this makes things you could never see in a godzilla movie or an episode of power rangers yeah, 100%. Go ahead. This You're not restricted to actually being like in physical suits, so go as crazy as you want. And I, I really got to circle back to Boosh, just in how they invent this stupid little character that's way more powerful than we initially realized with an acid attack, but they immediately play with this character in so many ways, like uh, kind of bursting this character to spread acid on the others, or later showing that this gross little acid monster is like the love of another monster's life like they're genuinely upset when they die and feel the need to get vengeance for like the light and love of their life like (laughs) yeah they introduce a one note character that all he says is boosh and eats and shits out one of our gladiators and yet i love this character like (laughs) this could have been throwaway but i am always going to remember this monster from this scene it's just a little teardrop when he's like, he knows he's dead. <laughs> so funny. But I do really love that this fight scene is really kind of where we see Noah grow as a character, or like sort of become the hero of this story. Like We see a lot of progression here. Like he's a surprisingly good and smart fighter. Uh, really uses his mind to take out these monsters using their abilities against them. And we also see that he's got sympathy for his enemies. Like, that he basically forgives and saves Gara, who's the whole reason he's in this situation in the first place. So, yeah, like, we've only seen him be kind of an impotent kid up until now, but here's where we start to see him become the hero. Yeah, and I really like how it um, really matches to be a protagonist of this book, being how, like, brutal he is in this fight. Like, he's holding nothing back. 
And I feel like that says something about how he feels about the monsters, or it could just be a matter of self-preservation, since, like, he's willing to forgive Gara, like, the head of the kaiju tribe, but is just merciless with the monsters. But, I mean, it is a life-or-death situation, so can't say I blame him. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame him, but man, like, he, he definitely cracked. Especially how he impaled, like, the T-Rex with the kaiju. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, melts his face and then stabs him in the neck. Like, it's it's a brutal scene. Like, you would never see this violence in any of the shows that this is pulling influence from. Not at all. Now, one moment I was curious about, in his last interaction with a monster, we see he's, like, kind of in another one's grasp, and he's delivering a kick to the eye to try and escape, and he, he shouts out, Ultra Mega Kick, which we've seen that that's how the Ultra Mega did their finishing moves, calling him out like an anime character. But the way the lettering is here with it getting bigger and this seeming to like be the moment where he's strong enough to kick through the eye of a monster. Do you think Noah is like calling on some kind of innate Ultra Mega power here? Or do you think this is just like a battle cry? Like, yeah, calling out their name is what gives him the strength to kick through this monster. I'm leaning more into like a battle cry. This is like him just giving his all with this kick. That's what I'm leaning towards. At first, I was thinking like maybe this was going to lean into some natural powers of Noah's, but like upon further reads and knowing what happens in the next issue, like I'm becoming increasingly doubtful as the series goes, but I was hopeful that he was some kind of natural superhuman being the son of the last Ultra Mega. Yeah, I mean, it could be true. It is an opportunity to have him being like some special powers, whatever, later on, but I... And this could be great foreshadowing towards that, but I don't see it at this with the current details right now. Now, since this fight leads into the last page of the book, uh, I did want to highlight just how the last page, you know exactly where the next issue is going. Like, it's been kind of obvious since the beginning that Noah's going to become the next Ultra Mega, but, like, I I love how it adds more suspense to what's coming next. Like, the fact that he's literally almost dead. Like, he's lost a foot, and he's bleeding out with his guts in his hands. Like, it's nasty, but... It takes you from knowing this guy is going to be an Ultra Mega to wondering, like, is he going to survive to be an Ultra Mega? Like, do the powers <laughs> work enough to save this dude, even? One thing I learned is, like, the last page of, like, any comics is one of the most important pages. And this is, like, an amazing last page of, like, Noah um, just dying. Like, he's dying. Like, like how is he going to get out of this? <laughs> and, like, it's just so much small humor to this page. Like, you got the little first aid kick <laughs> with this, like, intestine. I was like, what is that going to do? And it's like, a, it's a small rat um, that's like hard, to, like easy to miss, but it has like a little question mark because he's looking at the foot. And you know what? One, you're right. That is a great moment. I didn't notice the mouse's little question mark until just now. And two, like, I don't know how much this is supposed to be like poetic or tying back to the original, but uh, you'll remember Jason lost his foot in the last issue, like <laughs> in his last moments as an Ultra Mega. And here Noah is almost dead and footless and he's about to become one himself. So, yeah, kind of full circle there. Yep, it's the perfect last page for this story. So, bringing our episode to a close here, uh, I've mostly been asking how people have felt about the book so far and what they want to see going forward, but since you were here last week, we already know how you feel about this book, and, I mean, you came back, so I think it's presumed you liked it for those who didn't hear the last episode. So, I instead want to ask, as a fan of the genre, and honestly the biggest fan I know, if you could recommend one piece of tokusatsu content to lovers of this book, what would you point them toward? Oh, man. Like, to lovers of this book... And, you know, it's a really hard question um, to say that, but like I'm really leaning towards what I've been really liking recently is Kamen Rider X-Aid. 
It's a later Kamen Rider series. It came in like around like five years ago. And it's it's really not similar at all to this book. But it has like one thing in common that it, it takes itself like pretty seriously that has humor. The plot of the show, it's like imagining like a, a doctor show like Grey's Anatomy or like Scrubs or whatever. But like mixed with video games. So it's this whole thing about like doctor procedurals while like fighting monsters. And it's like played super seriously, but it's like super dumb at the same time. But it's like, I think the charm is that it really treats itself as like this K-drama or like drama about doctors. But they turn to superheroes and fight video game creatures. It, like it keeps it straight. Like it's actually like they're saving people's lives from like ash car accidents or whatever. It's super funny to me. And what I love about this series, uh, while I haven't gotten a chance to see an episode of it, like it's got the craziest common rider designs yet. I mean, the others try and try really hard to make their character look like a beetle or a grasshopper and knight and like a really edgy dark Power Ranger. Whereas this one, like. They have anime hair and like big bright shorts on over the over the rider suit. Like it's the goofiest looking outfit of any of them yet. It always stands out in the lineup. And yet, yeah, they're taking it totally seriously. Yeah, it's like if you were like this show could be completely different. Like you can treat this as a doctor show if you just took out all the parts with like the wacky suits and like the the the, <laughs> the, the monsters. It's like it takes itself super seriously, even though they're fighting video game viruses. That is like the type of content that I, I love to consume. Now, on my end, I, I wanna shout out something American made, uh, that's also real gritty despite aiming toward kind of uh tropes of a media with a younger audience that I think is perfect for lovers of this book. Uh, it's a little indie movie that came out in the last year called Psycho Goreman, or PG for short. Now, I have seen this movie like at least four times now just because there's no other movie like it. So uh, movies like that, when they're flawed, I can forgive them because, yeah, it's a unique experience, but this is a good movie on top of that. It's like if The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy happened with the villain of some kind of space opera like if instead of these kids finding the grim reaper these kids finding an alien out in the woods they find skeletor basically like he's this evil demonic monster that just wants to control the world and they don't hold back any punches i mean it's got r-rated levels of body horror and it plays with tropes in the tokusatsu genre because, like, all of the villains of the movie look like Power Rangers. The movie almost completely uses practical effects. There's a lot of miniatures and stuff. I've seen interviews with the director of the movie, and, yeah, he absolutely lists some of the darker pieces of tokusatsu as major influences of this film. So, like... If you're having drinks with friends, or if you want a good toku experience, or just like a funny R-rated version of the kind of things you loved as a kid, this is that. Like, it, despite playing it for laughs, they never shy away from how evil this character is and the horror of it. Like, yeah, they'll have that shopping montage scene, but on the side, Psycho Gorman uses his powers to, like, blow up a kid. Like, it's grim and dark and bloody as hell and a really fun experience. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think I'm probably going to do some kind of spotlight or bonus episode with it. And honestly, Nate, you're probably the one I'm going to make sit down and watch it with me. So we might come back for that one. Yeah, I'm fine watching that. Well, I think that brings our episode to a close. We'd like to thank you again for giving our podcast a chance and give a special shout out to artists Ray Day Parade and Dark Moon Home Video for designing our logo and cover photos. 
And also thanks to our sound editors at the record button. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook as Giant Size Violence and Twitter as at Ultramegacast. We hope you join us again on our upcoming episodes, where we'll be looking into the final issue of the series so far, as well as some of the movies and shows this comic draws influence from. Until then, take care and remember to do your part in preventing the spread of the kaiju virus. But you're not just a brick in the wall. La da 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 da.